a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the Hello stars. Hello and welcome to the cool room. It's your old friend David Griffiths here welcoming you all back in regardless of whether you are joining us live in the Zoom room or uh, joining us on the podcast version. It's good to have you all back with us. We know we've been a bit on again, off again in the last couple of weeks, uh, but we thank you for bearing with us. And um, that's obviously to let our listeners, particularly Melbourne listeners, get back out there into the sunshine in pubs and enjoy some beers in the flesh. So we hope you had the chance to do that, uh, but we hope that you continue to tune in and listen to us uh, over the coming weeks and months uh, as we go along through this exciting summer where we can actually get together and drink beer, uh, which we maybe thought we weren't going to have. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, we've got obviously the guys from uh, Two Birds joining us tonight. Uh, a really big reminder that if you enjoy Two Birds beers, you should go back and check out the Cool Room archives because we've got a couple of previous interviews with them, uh, and in particular the brewer Jane from almost I think 18 months ago now. It's a great interview about some of their core range beers. And um, tonight we're going to be talking about some of the special releases that are out there now. And so if you want the full Two Birds experience, we suggest you try and get all of those together in front of you. Um, for those that haven't done one of our online uh, and podcast Meet the Brewers before, it's designed to be uh, enjoyed with some beers in your hand. Tonight the beers are the Two Birds Pale Ale, the Rice Rice Baby, the Total Eclipse of the Hop, and the Deck the Hall Street. Uh, if you're in the Zoom room with us, we're not suggesting that you try to drink all of those beers in the time that we're going to be talking, so feel free to make yourselves a little tasting paddle or share them with family members, for those of you wise enough to bring family members along with you. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast, feel free to pause after each of the beers that we discuss uh, so that you can savour that beer before we move on to the next one. We'll make it pretty clear when we're going to move from one beer to another. Uh, a couple of other quick notes for you. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who has followed us on social media. Please do that on Facebook and Instagram. That way you won't miss out on any of our future events. And speaking of future events, uh, next week we have... Bridge Road Brewers coming on to talk about all of their beers, including the Fat Suit Red Sack Big Man, or whatever it's called. I always get that wrong and have now enjoyed getting it wrong for so long I couldn't say it right if I wanted to. And the Magical Christmas Unicorn, they'll be in your tasting pack next week. There are eight uh, beers from Bridge Road in that tasting pack available from our Shopify which is available via our social medias. And um, we're just announcing in the last half an hour or so that we'll be gathering together in the flesh at the Royal Mail on Spencer, 519 Spencer Street, West Melbourne, on New Year's Eve to uh, have a whole lot of craft beer fun together. We've got some really exciting beers, which we'll announce on the Facebook. Uh, but I can say that we've got four different Sierra Nevada barrel-aged beers that are going to be available that night. So uh, there's going to be limited numbers of people that we can get in, not because of the COVID rules, but just because of the availability of some of those beers. So if you want to be part of it, uh, best to get in quick. Travis Bristos, with the light shining through your work window rather than your ceiling windows, 
Welcome to you, my friend. Uh, thank you, David. Yes, I'm sitting in my office in South Melbourne today rather than at home, uh, just because I like doing things a bit different. Like, why not? Why not? Absolutely, absolutely right. Um, we will join us at some point, but mate, why don't you kick us off and introduce the guys from Two Birds and we'll crack on from there. Talk the words out of my mouth. Uh, tonight we are welcoming Matt and Paul from Two Birds Brewing. Matt is one of the brewers and Paul is our rep for Two Birds. Welcome, uh, gents, to the call room. Thanks, Travis. Let's, uh, let's kick off with getting a bit of an insight. Before we move on to sort of starting on the pale ale. <laughs> well, that, Who let the birds out? That's... Um, that's awesome. a new one for us. And that, I don't think that was the dog that is in the place next door to my work. Those people that were in the Zoom room prior to this will understand that. All right, guys, let's have a chat about um, how long you guys have been at, the, at Two Birds Brewery. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I'll kick off, Maddie. Uh, Jane and Danielle have been... Uh, silly enough to have me on board for six and a half years now. So um, winding back the clock to 2014, I, uh, I came on board Two Birds uh, before before the Spotswood Brewery was up and running. So I, uh, I distinctly remember, obviously, the, so Jane and Danielle were contract brewing for the first three years of Two Birds before, before they found their, the spot in Spotswood and it was always going to be in Melbourne's West. Um, and then finally, uh, Jane uh, found it. But I distinctly remember walking into the, the brewery at the time and it, it looked like a classroom. And I'd quit my long-term job to go work at, at Two Birds and I thought, what the hell have I done here? This is not a brewery. This is a classroom. Um, so I was quite concerned at the start. Um but uh, it was uh, amazing to see it turned um, turned upside down and walls bashed out and tanks delivered and uh, staff come on board and uh, within a short enough time, see it turned into a brewery and, and pump out our first batch of beer uh, back in 2014. Our first batch of beer out of, out of our own brewery in Spotswood. So, uh, so that was the very beginning and uh, it's... Uh, I guess our range of beers and products have changed uh, a hell of a lot over the over the course of those six years. Um, from going from two beers, a, a golden ale and a sunset ale, uh, to having a range now of nine different beers. I'm going to say plus cider plus a couple of seltzer. Um, uh, yeah, so it's been a pretty awesome ride from for me personally, walking into bottle shops and and explaining to them what craft beer is is what it was like. It was a really conversation about what it is not. Hey, have you had this style before or what hops are in it? It, it, it was nothing about that at all. It was really scaled back, and it was um, getting um, getting a case a one case order into a bottle shop. To own stock mainstream beer back then was really a victory, uh, and that's what the industry was back then. From from my experience and and to now, um, as we all know, there's hundreds of independent craft breweries in the scenes, thriving and exciting. And 
uh, I guess you've got another stalwart next week, Dave, and um, with Bridge Road, who uh, fantastic independent Victorian brewery, and yeah, I guess we're probably like the grandfathers in the industry to a certain extent, uh, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, how about you, Matt? How long have you uh, been brewing with Two Birds, and what was your background? Uh, so I've been with Two Birds for four years. It'll be in Jan. Uh, previous to that, I kind of I was floating around a bit at, <clears throat> casually at other breweries. I'd been at uh, I initially started at Coinda, which no longer exists anymore. Um, did, did sort of a couple of years casual, uh, and then moved up to assistant. <clears throat> um, I literally lived just down the road from the brewery, so. Uh, the moment that my job was advertised, I, I was the first first person uh, to apply. Uh, basically, Jane sort of uh, hit me up almost straight away um, and got me doing some trials there. So, and then they got on board uh, Jan uh, 2017. So, slowly moved up from. Uh, I'm now kind of a production sort of team leader role there, manage all the packaging. Um, yeah, so it's been quite a journey. So obviously you're, you're a local Westie. For, you know, we have quite a few overseas listeners. Can you guys sort of paint us a picture on where the brewery's located? Me as a Westie and David and Warren and multiple other people in the room are well aware of um, the location, but paint us a bit of a picture. Uh, yeah, so it's, you know, you get off the Westgate. If you're heading towards Werribee, you, you turn left onto Williamstown Road and... Basically, you you want you head towards uh, Science Works. It's you know another sort of iconic West location around here. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of halfway between sort of Spotswood and Newport. Newport, you'd say, um, an old canning factory it was. Uh, that's sort of now turned into um, you know concrete sort of uh, factories behind it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great location opposite the train line. It's a, it's a sort of five-minute walk from Spotswood Station or Newport Station. So awesome sort of location to get to. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially everything that Maddie said. Um, but I think the thing why, where we are, we're in Melbourne's inner west and that's that's because the north was really the cent- centre of craft beer and it was pretty flooded even back then. So... Jane, who's a local Westie herself, really wanted to be the brewer in the West and be first, and and that was always the goal. And and now we see it gentrified heaps, and um, just yeah, as Maddie said, utilising public transport to come to a brewery. Um, yeah, I think there's still people in Melbourne who don't know who, where Spotswood is, which I I think is pretty funny. Uh, but that's part of the appeal, I guess. And um, yeah, I think slowly but surely um, the West. Will certainly um, uh, thrive, and I think uh, along with our neighbours, Hot Nation as well. I think we're helping that. So, yeah. My house is located pretty much, if you look at a map, right in the middle of Two Birds and Hot Nation, to the point that it didn't matter which route I took, I was exactly the same amount of distance from both. I I didn't choose it because of that reason, although some people might disagree with me on that. But <laughs> works out pretty well. Works out real well. Um. We're going to start talking about the pale ale. Obviously, like you said just before, Paul, the, the lineup of beers has changed quite substantially from, from what started the brewery. 
Um, why did you decide that we should kick off tonight on the pale ale? It's, it's reasonably new in relation to your core range. Um, give us a bit of an insight on how you got to, to, to this pale ale. I mean, for a long time, you guys didn't have a pale ale. So why don't we talk a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Travis. No, you're spot on. Um, well, if we wind back the clock, we, we didn't have a parallel for the first five years. As a craft brewery without a parallel for five years, it, it, you say it out loud, it's bloody stupid. It's madness. Uh, but we did it. Um, and and I still remember at the time, when we were weighing up, should we do pale, should we do an IPA? And most of us, I think, wanted an IPA, but, you know, from, from a commercial sense and business sense, it clearly just didn't make sense. And the pale, um, the, the pale is obviously a style that people drink more of. And But the thing that I'm, I think we're all proud about with our pale is that Jane, Jane didn't want to just brew another pale. Like, we didn't want a pale that was just another bland pale. Um, she wanted a pale as a craft beer lover and drinker that, we all, all will drink and enjoy, not go, oh, our power sales well, but we don't drink it. So, um, so yeah, so um, our pale is different to, to others on the market. I'll get Maddie to talk through the, the beer itself, um, but it's got some points of difference in the market that stand out and within a year of making it, we used to have a saying in the brewery, Maddie, um, when in doubt, brew golden. Uh, that took about six months. That golden, when in doubt, was just brew pale. Um, and Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It probably was the first nail in the coffin for golden, uh, closely followed by the Passion Victim Summer Ale, which probably put it to rest. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I thought it would be cool to start with our pale as the, as the first beer to taste tonight, as a beer that you can get your hands on all year round. And then the next three beers are all limited releases. So uh, before we move on to that, Corey in our, our uh, Zoom chat just said he still misses the Bantam and I was about to bring that up because that was my introductory beer to Two Birds. That was, you know, it, I felt like it had been around for, for years and then all of a sudden it was gone. Um, give us a quick, in, like, it, I still feel it comes up all the time. It's one of those beers that whenever you're talking about Two Birds, that is what people seem to remember. Uh, what made the decision to shift away from that onto some of the newer stuff? Yeah, um, we we all miss the banter. It's uh, I'm glad you're recording, Travis, because I'll make sure that Jane gets a copy. Uh, we, yeah, I guess as a as a team, we love it, and and you're all, everyone in this podcast obviously loves a, a craft beer, and you all appreciate what Banton was bringing to the table. Yeah able but um at the time session ipa was not a thing it it didn't exist in, in australia and people were confused by the beer they ipa drinkers didn't like it and were disappointed they're like well this isn't an ipa um and session ipa just wasn't a thing i think the only other session ipa i had had at the time was which i think still a cracker is the founders all day session ipa and um we love the beer but it just didn't, uh, it just didn't really uh, set the world on fire out on the market, and and that was also when we were toying with why don't we have a pail? I mean, it makes sense to have a pail. So, unfortunately, the band, we tried, we relabeled it three times. We called it 
Bantam IPA. People go, what's a Bantam? It didn't work. We relabeled it uh, Session IPA and people would go, what's an IPA? So we relabeled it again and we called it a Session India Pale Ale and it had about 400 words on the label and people go, it's too confusing. So we're like, oh, fuck it. So uh, we ended up, ended up unfortunately, uh, RIPing it. Uh, we RIPed the Bantam by brewing a, a double Bantam at 8.3%. That's right, yep. As a bit of a, well, there's your session. There you go. Uh, we'll double the hops, double the ABV. And we put it to rest. But um, I love the fact we're talking about it because that might mean one day we can bring it back out right. again. <laughs> Good. That, that's, a, that's a great explanation. And there's a couple of people who've said they've already told Jane about it. So I feel yeah. like when she listens to the podcast, Perhaps it gets a uh, gets a reprise, and uh, even if only for a limited time. Let's move on to the pale ale, um, Matt. This is where you're going to come into your own, mate. Um, let's start talking about it because this is a really distinctive pale ale. Yeah, you're not. You know, it, I feel like I could pick this out of a lineup now. I've drank probably so much of it, um, but there aren't many other pale ales like it. Give, give us a bit of a breakdown on it. Yeah, it's definitely a, a unique sort of uh, a beer in the, in that pale segment. Um, it's pretty much what I cut my teeth on when I first come to Two Birds. It was, uh, uh, I don't know if many people know, I think it was originated as Odie Mink Oatface um, and that recipe turned into our pale. Um, yeah, so when, when I sort of hit the ground at Two Birds, it was just pale, 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 pale. We were just, we couldn't brew enough of it to try and get stocks up. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's got two kinds of oats. So it's got golden naked oats and flaked oats, um, wheat, Vienna, and then just base malt. So I mean, you could you know you sort of look at it these days, and you could probably say it was one of the one of the original kind of hazy beers, really. So I mean, it's still quite hazy to this day. Um, yeah, it's. it's uh, Mosaic hops, uh, Cascade, and Amarillo in the dry hop. So it provides a really good sort of citrusy punch to that beer. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think it's one of those ones that it, it really does stand out. Were, um, were, were they the hops you always had in mind, or was there a bit of, uh, bit of back and forth, a bit of testing on it that, to, to make you settle on those hops, or was that changed. always there? Yeah, it definitely hasn't changed since I've brewed it. So it's, it's pretty much, you know, I think we... They hit the nail on the head the first time they made it, and uh, that was it. So, and you know, like Salty said, it's it's kind of a myself at least. Everybody sort of laughs at me. They go, oh, "What beer did you get?" You know, knockoff pale. So, you know, it's just consistent. I love it. It's pretty much what I drink all the time. So, yeah, it's pretty much a staple in my fridge now as well. It's <laughs> uh, it's very rare that you can open the beer fridge and there's not a six pack there. So. It's, awesome. it's hit the nail on the head for, for this dude that lives in Yarraville. So <laughs> probably go more to two birds than I do to Hop Nation now. So it's... <laughs> you have to go to Mornington now, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, guys, remember, uh, for those in the Zoom room tonight, you can type your questions in and, uh, and ask away and we will get to as many of the questions as we possibly can. Um, Paul, was there something that you wanted to add in relation to the, the pale? I mean, from a marketing point of view, am I correct in thinking that around the time of the release of the pale ale was about the same time that 
that things changed in relation to marketing. You, you moved away from bottles into cans and, and that you had that change in the labeling and that sort of thing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pale was definitely first. Uh, it was the first bottled beer off our line at, in Spotswood when we pulled all our beers back in house. So, uh, so pale was still first in bottles before we introduced cans. Uh, but it was, it was soon after that, that we, we started experimenting with limited release cans. Uh, definitely. So, um, I think, you know, Post 2014, when Jane and Danielle had full control of their destiny because we weren't outsourcing anything, it really then gave us a chance to do these things, rebrand, um, do new beers, put stuff in cans, uh, and, yeah, just be a bit more creative. So, um, yeah, I think the, 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 it did tie in with the bottled, bottled rebranding at the time, but it was a little bit later than when we introduced the pail in the cans. Um, but it is, pail is the actually, it is actually the only product we still do in two formats. We still do it in cans and bottles. There you go. That's an interesting thing. I did not, I did, I actually didn't realize that. Um, you, sorry to cut across. Do you sell them into the same markets? Like can, you know, do we, well, are there venues that have both or, uh, does one tend to get exported in a different way or something like that? There are, um, there are a few customers that have them side by side in the fridge from a retail point of view. Um, not many, but, but some do that, I guess, have a big, uh, big store that have the space to do that, to allow to do that. Um, but yeah, Dave, I think, yes, I think there is a different market for it and, uh, our pale, pale bottles probably worked in a more traditional market, uh, maybe in your kind of um, more of your national big box kind of retail sort of market um, and an on-premise on point of view as well. There is still a portion of the market that um, want glass. So, um, so, yeah, so for the time being, we'll continue with both formats with the pale just because we've actually got the market for it, but we... We're certainly not doing that with all the other beers. We, we, we choose which, which format it goes in and it's only in one or the other. Amazing. Um, we are going to move on, I think, pretty soon to our next beer, which is going to be led by Mr. Warren Wu. I have no idea who won time tonight on Warren's arrival. I, I feel like Warren arrived pretty early with a haircut, no less. Um, welcome, Warren, to... Hello. Hello, everyone. Yeah, uh, apparently, uh, Kieran won. It was one minute off, and it was 6.42, I'm told. Yeah. It's the yes. time we've had in ages. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's ages since we've done this. It's good to be back. How good is this? It is. It's, um... How good is Zoom, in the words of I feel like we haven't been on Zoom in a really long time, but when I, when you look at probably the time codes on things, it's probably only been a few weeks, but it feels like um, a decade. Yeah. Uh, having said that, 10 days feels like a decade at the moment. So, um, so um, yeah, smashing into rice, rice, baby. Yes. Ah, and the culturally appropriate person to be asking these questions. How funny is that? 
I wonder if David made that. I wonder if I wonder. If well, he... no, we normally go Travis Warren, David. Yeah, yeah. But true. I did. Yeah. No, think, I... I did stop and think. Oh no, are we going to have to have this discussion about this? So I and guess the next question I, is. It's great that you made this come and have this discussion. So, so I guess the next question out is, Paul, did you give David a run sheet on how you wanted to order the beers, or did he make the decision for you? Definitely all Dave. <laughs> yeah, would, would either of you guys have actually put in, I'm not talking to Warren and Travis so I know the answer just because for shits and giggles um, would either of you guys have ordered them in a different way or is this the way you would have lined them up having having tasted the the rice rice baby now and I haven't had it before I must admit um, the small chance I will put it number one pale ale's got got a bit of it's got maybe a touch more body, and that would be a reason to... I, I did think about that. It was more from the storyline point of view that I thought it was better to go That's for the yeah. established beer. As yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm with, I'm with you, Dave. I'm with you. The story, oh. the story works. I watch too much wrestling. And on that, <laughs> Warren, why don't you lead us? I feel like we've touched enough on the pale, and I don't know about everyone else, but... I smash through this stuff like you wouldn't believe. So it's pretty much gone. Yeah. Like it's, um, for those that have finished their pail, let's crack open the rice rice baby and Warren will, um, take the lead. Matt, Paul, who wants to tell, who wants to tell the story about this one? Obviously kind of a, a Southeast Asian vibe going on. Um, yeah, what's what's the what's the deal? What's rice rice baby? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you 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 were there when the first uh, version was brewed a while ago, I guess. So yeah, so um, back in two thousand and fifteen, uh, Jane Jane has moments of inspiration, and literally. When, when we would get hungry, when we, you know, it was lunchtime, we would, Spotswood's only down the road from Footscray Market. And every time you go down to Footscray, you, of course, get a barn meat. And, and the flavours of Footscray just popped into Jane's head, um, inspired by the Vietnamese culture and the, and the barn meats that we, we often enjoy down in Footscray. And, and as Jane does, she's very good at putting uh, fruit and adjuncts in a beer. And uh, she thought, well, let's let's do this. Let's do a Southeast Asian like, Footscray-inspired uh, beer. So, so that's that's exactly where the inspiration came from. And five years ago, it was a keg-only limited release, and not many people got their hands or, or mouths uh, onto it. And five years later, we thought, well. We've got this beautiful limit to release um, program now, which we're canning. So let's let's get it back in time for spring. It's a good spring uh, zingy beer, and um, I think it's all about fun as well. Like uh, obviously in Melbourne, it hasn't been much fun this year, so we thought let, let's have some fun with these limiteds. So, so that was the inspiration to bring it back again. So um, how hard is it tying those those flavors together there's a lot of there's a lot of different things going on and they all and they all kind of come from a similar type of cuisine but yeah getting those all those flavors together what's what do you need to do what's the Maddie, do you want to take the ingredients and flavor oh uh, yeah so the we've got uh, there's ginger in it 
uh, lemongrass, uh, Thai basil, and Vietnamese mint. So, I mean, yeah, getting that getting that flavour into the beer is quite difficult. Um, so what we did is uh, we we put put a lot of those flavours into the kettle, um, and then we also dry hopped with those ingredients as well. Um, kind of similar to what we do with the with the taco, we dry hop with uh, coriander and dry hops as well. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. We Jane and I got to to bash a whole heap of lemongrass up to try and bruise it and break it up and get as much extract down as we could. Um, yeah, and there's always there's there's tweaks along the way. You sort of you taste the beer as it's fermenting, and um, if you need to add more, you add more. Um, yeah, so. I think there's a, there's a few tweaks to kind of bring it up, and I, I've definitely found um, the flavours have really developed a lot. Yep. Um, they weren't quite as pungent when, when when we first canned it and kegged it, and um, they yeah they're really starting to come out now. So still really balanced. It's a nice sort of dry rice ale, like um, like yeah, like you said, it doesn't it doesn't have as much body as the pale, um, but yeah, I think that pairs really well with the sort of uh, the, the Asian sort of cuisine, Vietnamese food, you know, a nice spicy bar and me, washed down with a rice rice baby, it's uh, nothing better. So, um, Matt, while we while we got you, that rice element and, and rice ale, let it, could you, I've always actually wondered myself, but how much more complex is it to produce a rice ale? It's not simply a matter of, of getting some rice and throwing it in uh, so basically what we use is is flaked rice so it's it's um like pre-gelatinized basically so uh the congee you throw congee in <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just like cornflakes basically but it's rice so um you know a lot of a lot of you can use rice in breweries but you, you have to have a separate sort of vessel that's a rice cooker that basically boils it up um and yeah, extracts all the uh, all the sugars and stuff out of it, all the starches out of it. So then the enzymes from your your trad ale um, can break that down. But when it's when it's already flaked, then you can just chuck it through your, your mash tun like like any other ingredient. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and is it received well? Like it's. It's it is out there. Like it not and and for the people of the West, yeah, sure, we understand all these flavors. In fact, for most of Melburnians, we understand these flavors pretty well. But yeah, do people do people dig it? Do people just go, yeah, that's and is it and is it and are those well when those restaurants are open? Is it mainly restaurants with with an Asian bent that do take it on more than others? Yeah, Warren, good question. So from a from a retail point of view, it, I think it does well in pockets, you know, like it depends on the clientele that are going into the bottle shop. If they're, if they're willing to um, have a new and different style and flavor, it's selling extremely well. Um, it's definitely what Maddie said. It's definitely a good food beer for me. Anything, anything spicy, it's good to, good to have with it. So probably like Travis, I'll drink all the pails and then, but if I'm having a spicy dish, I'll grab a, I'll grab a rice rice so it might be might not be the biggest selling beer because it's quite unique but um there's definitely uh pockets out there in retail doing well but definitely uh down in footscray if you uh go down to sapper hills and go see long and uh grab yourself some uh 
amazing, delicious Vietnamese goodness. Uh, you can pair that with the rice, rice baby. Um, in uh, just just uh, heading back a little bit um, to to the 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 origins of this one, how different are the the, is, is this version compared to the original version is that that's a that's a question we got in our chat room so yeah, yeah. I, I can't speak taste wise because I, I i've never got to taste the original um but i know i know recipe wise we kind of uh we scrambled because the original recipe had disappeared um so we had to kind of look at tasting notes and uh and figure out what to do um so you know probably why there might be a little bit of difference between between this version and the last version. But yeah, salty, I, I, you'd be able to speak more to the actual flavours. Yeah. Um, it's a long time ago, so it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly fresh in my mind, the uh, 2015 version, but I, I would say this is a lot more balanced. Like um, the version back then, I think... I wouldn't be able to go back to back to back uh, rice rice, but I absolutely can with, with this one. So probably a bit more balance of flavour. Um, and what I can say, it's not not about the liquid, uh, Warren, but definitely from a branding point of view, it's, uh, it's a, a hell of a lot better than the old one, that's for sure. So having a marketing person now has helped. So that's good news. Nice. We don't I have... This one's a bit more bolder in its actual use of the flavours, which I really like, like... I love the flavours in this beer and it just there's a bit more confidence for me in sort of getting the lemongrass and the basil in particular is really coming through to me. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad you agree. You no, know, I do agree, yeah. No, it's um yeah, and so that's why that's why for me I love it with food because it just pairs so well, cuts through the spice. So but definitely those um it is herbaceous and you get that um you get all the hints of all those um additions that are used in the beer um going back to the 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 i the well the thought on on the trade and 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 kind of and the shops and restaurants uh how how is the the kind of the opening up after lockdown treating you guys like what's what what's been the feeling for you guys in terms of um uh of the market and and i suppose the beer industry rolling again and yeah how is it going definitely in the brewery we're busy so <laughs> were you were you significantly quieter matt during lockdown uh, yeah look there was a there, there was a you know a quite a bit of a, a downturn and obviously you know, being on JobKeeper, um, there was, you know, you had days off or um, stand down days and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, I was saying to Jane the other day, we kind of feel like I've, I've lost my match fitness. We All of a sudden, everything's uh, gone full pelt again. And, you know, I'm coming home after a long day and I'm like, I used to be able to do this. What's, what's happened? <laughs> I'm feeling, feeling old and, uh, and lazy. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's noticeably busier, um, which is good. It's good to sort of uh, get back in and do what we want to do, what we love doing. And, um, yeah, it's, we're, we're brewers and, and, you know, Salty's a, a legendary salesman. So that's what he loves doing. And, you know, when we're in lockdown, he can't do that kind of stuff. So... <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks of the six months I was sitting in this very spot for... <laughs> 
is it good? Is it good getting back? Do you feel? Do you feel a positive vibe in the trade, Salty? Do you feel like yeah, it's nice to open doors and and walk in and and kind of sit down with with pubs and and restaurants and bars now? Absolutely, absolutely, Warren. It was literally flicking a switch on everyone's mindset, and it was. Uh, it was hard. It was hard for everyone. Obviously, we we want our customers to be open and and thriving, and um, so it was impact all day, every day. The conversations were quite, you know, um, negative, and and it wasn't because everyone anyone wanted to be negative. It was just reality. And uh, for six months, it's it was hard. So everyone's mindset and positivity just changed overnight, and it was awesome. It was just like we're back kind of thing, and um, yeah, everyone. And like Maddie said, the, the, they're so busy in the brewery, and that's because venues venues just opened and have have been never been busier. They've just opened with a bang, and clearly, um, you know, Melburnians have, are making up for lost time, and um, it's a it's a different way of going out, but people just want to go out, and uh, it's it's been fantastic. And I guess if you talk about the, the local venues in the west close to the brewery that they are they are flat out and um it's really good to see so it yeah it changed overnight warren and it's uh, it was a bloody good feeling that's for sure and the nest itself is that is, have you guys found that you guys that that everyone's catching up on lost time there and and smashing it like the venue at the at the brewery yeah yeah i think so for sure um we'll probably uh, we're a part of a Hobson's Bay council, and I think I think we're lucky. I mean, I don't I don't get I'll let Dave talk about the uh, politics here. I won't get into that too much. But, uh, no, 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 no. You do all of that. I'll do none of it. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I've, uh, they they were very good, and um, they uh, they they helped us out with uh, building a, a deck out the front of the brewery, and. Um, yeah, it took COVID. For, we were never allowed an outdoor area, Warren, but it took COVID for us to be allowed an outdoor area. And what do you know? We're busy. And that's a really interesting thing. And there's like, there's so many venues out there at the moment that are saying the exact same thing that before COVID, they weren't allowed to have an outdoor area and it wasn't a thing. And sorry, Katie and on Warren, do you feel like in six months' time, when we're hopefully on the other side of COVID, you get to it changes the dynamic of these venues. Do you feel like that outdoor area of the nest is going to remain in place? Yeah, we, we all like to, you know, we're all kind of saying that it gets to the six month point. We're going to try and uh, do our best to make sure it stays there. It's literally transformed the nest. Like yeah, it, yeah. It's yeah. a completely different venue now. So, um, and yeah, I think, you know, sometimes people don't even recognise it's a brewery when they're driving past. And now they're like, oh, there's people out the front. What's this? It's a brewery. Sweet. Bang. Straight in. Like, it's it's unbelievably changed the face of our, our um, yeah, venue. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can convince them to uh, let us keep it. <laughs> I think for a lot of, for a lot of councils, it's going to be a case of, of, um, well, the car traffic probably didn't need to be there. 
it's you know we you want to try to make sure that that uh, a sweet street a sweet a street sweeper or yeah, on, um, one more time let's do it properly yeah, let's do it again a street sweeper or um uh, or a wheelchair can get through but apart from that most of the time you know who needs an extra car going Hall, Hall Street's one of those unique streets that's very very wide you can still fit car parks even with your current setup. Yeah. either side and still have enough room for traffic. Whereas you go to somewhere like Yarraville, for example, not the case anymore. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things sort of shift and whether or not the venues get to keep uh, the, the parklets or pop-ups as we're calling them in place. I must say, given what I'm sitting in my office at the moment and we've done a, quite a few of these parklets, yours at the nest has to be one of the best looking ones I've seen to date. It looks absolutely amazing with the kegs around and the rope. Just perfectly done. Parklet doesn't do it justice, does it? It's bigger than a parklet. <laughs> well, it's it's eight metres longer than a cricket pitch because I've played cricket down it. So it's uh, <laughs> it's 30 metres long. longer. So, so that's a run up as well as the pitch. Yeah. I have a really interesting idea, and I spoke to someone about this the other day. By, by keeping these areas in the car parks out the front of venues, we might end up in a year's time discouraging people from driving to venues to have a drink, and it yeah. changes the entire landscape of, uh, of not only the city but the, the outer suburbs as well. So do your best to keep it there, I see. We will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's um, a great... Nick, go on, Dave. No, Dave's struggling with... Uh, well, this is of the post-COVID environment that we now record in. So for the last year, it's fair to say that my family has always been home with me every time we've recorded a podcast and we've always had to have the study door shut and so forth so that, you know, noise didn't echo down the hallway. And accordingly, my cat didn't get into the room with me. Uh, and now that my family can go out and explore other things, meaning that I'm at home by myself. I think this is the first night since the first week of March that I'm home by myself. And so the cat is wandering around with her tail and her bell and her purring. So my apologies for whatever background noise that generates. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be the worst background noise we've had on the call room in the last however many months we've been doing these Zoom. Now your, uh, your windows are very loud, Travis, I agree. I was, more, I was more referring to the screaming baby that isn't here tonight. So we are, we are good. <laughs> Should we? Um, now, I reckon this would be a good time to have a little break between, between innings. Going on the... Those cricket references, thing. Warren. This is great. Yeah, it's uh, someone... Who just said the BBL's just started? Yeah, tonight. No, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Daniel, yeah. Yep. Let's do that. It's 7.19, 7.20 Melbourne time right now. Uh, feel free to unmute yourselves and we will start recording with the second to oh, the third and fourth beers, I should say, uh, in 10 minutes at 7.30. How does that sound?
You're back in the cool room for part two of our Meet the Brewers session with the good people of Two Birds. Uh, we hope you're enjoying what you've experienced so far with us. Do go back and check out the archives, not just for our previous conversations with Two Birds, but for a whole lot of other really fun breweries and fun discussions that we've had. And make sure, if you haven't already, that you uh, follow us on social media. Follow Two Birds on social media as well. Normally, I ask guests what their social media is. If you can't find Two Birds social media, then there's some problems with your ability to type the words Two Birds into a social uh, search engine, I reckon. So uh, let's crack on with the Total Eclipse of the Hop XPA. Um, now, I'm not sure. I reckon, Matt, we might have a yarn to you about this one to kick off with. Yeah, definitely. Brand new hop. This doesn't happen all that often uh, that there's a brand new hop on the market. And the way they've marketed this one is pretty interesting. But what can you tell us about the Eclipse hop story, even before it comes to this beer itself? So it was originally called, it was an experimental um, hop that HBA likes to release with their uh, with their experimental name, so it's HPA 016. Um, so it's kind of existed for a few years now, obviously not commercially to everybody. Uh, we used it in our Uncharted IPA that we made. Um, so that was the first time that we, we got to use it then. Um, and then, yeah, lucky enough to to use it now. It's It's been released and officially named as Eclipse. Um, and bring bring a good beer into a, a a mix of beers that have utilised the hops. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, you know got the descriptions of sort of mandarin and citrus peel. It's, it definitely brings a lot of that to the to, to the table. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really it's a beginning to be a favourite hop of mine. Um, we're starting to use it in um, some of our other beers as well, just just to see what it brings into those so um yeah I, I, I dare say that this is going to be one of those hops that really explode in the market i think it's uh it's it's bringing really good flavors to ipas xpas obviously um yeah and everyone sort of have given their take on it and it, i don't know if you've tried the pack um we've got one at work that we're kind of slowly working our way through so interesting so about the pack this is the notion of this a whole lot of different breweries that have been essentially given the hop and the opportunity to brew with this, you know, to align them next to each other and let people experience it. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's, uh, we were just sort of given free reign, basically brew whatever you want to brew. Um, Jane being Jane and her musical uh, references got in nice and early and got in the, uh, the total eclipse of the hop name. So um, yeah. And I definitely think the uh, the marketing and the label of the of the beer really lends itself to that kind of eighties eighties look. So um, yeah, I really think it's a it's a great drinkable you know XBA. Um, you know, obviously we, we're going to talk about what what's the differences between XBAs in a little bit, but yeah. Oh no, you've got you've got us there already. So yeah, why not? <laughs> we often have these discussions. And particularly for for newer craft beer drinkers, but even for people like myself, if I was really, if I had 10 beers lined up, there was IPAs, XPAs and Pale Ales, and I was really put on the spot, there was 
three of each, let's say, which means there's nine, not ten. Don't worry, I can I can see that. <laughs> How would I be able to pick the three XPAs out? What is it that makes an XPA an XPA taste-wise rather than just alcohol level-wise or those sort of things? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm... This is kind of one of the things that sort of... Uh, Grasps me a little bit, you know, cuts me a little bit. I did an XPA. Oh, good, good. Do back into this. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of obviously we've done one, but yeah, to me, they're very hard to categorise, really. So, is it is it a, a slightly more alcoholic pale with a few more hops, or is it a, a less alcoholic IPA? Um, yeah, look, XPA just look cool on a label because it's got an X yeah, on it. Someone came up with the, the name and went, oh, well, that looks good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'd, I, I, I'd like to stick with pale ales and IPAs. It's Let's not muddy the waters any more than they need to be. So. I'm on board for that. I, <laughs> I really am. But, um, how easy is it to get your hands on this hop at the moment? Like, I know there was sort of a fair bit of it going around for the the launch of it, but have you now got as much as you needed? Because we often talk to brewers who do and don't get access to the hops they want and they have to keep on changing the recipes. Yeah. Or is there now just enough of this kicking in these boxes of the bloody stuff sitting out the back kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I know that, you know, obviously there's with HBA um, and, and a lot of other sort of hop producers, you, you'll get a contract of certain hops. Um, we haven't gone down that route just yet. Uh, I don't want to don't want to commit and and grab a whole heap of stuff that we may or may not use. But yeah, I think it's it's pretty readily available now. Um, yeah, it's definitely appearing a lot more on the the homebrew sort of market uh, shops on the on the internet. I've seen it's now the the next big thing. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of it out there. And they're probably, you know, they, they're going to be focusing on growing quite a bit of it, so. We've had some really interesting discussions with brewers, you know, this year especially about that notion of going and picking out particular hops from particular fields or even down to rows where you get different sort of flavours. And I, that was something that I'd never learned about sort of before we'd started to do the podcast. I can totally see the mandarin and the peel to me, there's still a bit of sort of almost garlicness at the end of some of the savoury sort of flavours at the end of this. That might just be me. How different do you reckon this hop could be sort of, you know, in five years' time when different places are growing it in different ways? Yeah, it'd definitely be interesting to see. And, it, and it's great that you say that, uh, that garlic note. Um, I, yeah, I got quite a bit of that. Uh, not long after we kept it, yeah, very kind of onion note, which I like it. It's yeah, yeah, it sounds it sounds terrible, but it's actually quite nice. So, um, yeah, it's kind of that. It's got a bit of that dankness, really. If you wanna, if you wanna kind of use a you know a beer nerd term, um, yeah, it's definitely got that yeah that oniony sort of um, smell to it, which you know some people like, some of them don't. I think it's quite great. So. Um, yeah, I think do. they call it savoury. People go, oh yes, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like it's it's yeah. like a it's like a, a chive muffin. Yeah. Oh, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> and you go, oh, it's dank, and people go, oh no, I don't think I like any of that thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if 
who I, I don't think, you know, and especially with HBA, they, they probably don't allow a lot of their strains to be grown all over the place. So I know they're expanding a lot of their farms, um, especially up sort of the, the Myrtleford area. They're getting bigger and bigger. So it's probably, hopefully stays fairly true to what, it, what it's been um, bred to be. Um, yeah, it doesn't sort of dilute any of those oniony flavours. And Sully, what's it like being to sort of go out and explain, not to the craft beer sort of venues that we, everyone who's probably in the Zoom room now and listening on the podcast inhabits, but to those sort of next level of venues that might have a range of beers, but to get to them and say, there's a new hop, you need this. Do people get it or is it a little bit of a foreign concept to some people? It's foreign, yeah. You, you, if you take a step down from the um, established craft beer retailers or pubs and bars, then it's it's foreign. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to say, Dave, that price doesn't get involved, but he does, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and and it's an XPA, and I guess you put yourself out on a limb a little bit when you brew a limited release beer that's an XPA because. Uh, there's a certain uh, brand out there that's made it quite popular. And um, so it's quite accessible now, the style of XPA. And then you, you kind of get matched on style and people don't see past that. They just go, oh, I can get an XPA for that price. Why can't you? And, and so it's definitely with limited releases, it's there's a certain market uh, who will buy it and, and and be comfortable that, that they know it's a little bit more expensive than a beer that you can get all year round big, uh, brewed in a bigger batch. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting insight. I mean, I wouldn't, I genuinely wouldn't know what the big XPAs in the market are without wanting you to talk about other people's brands. Yeah. What are the big XPAs? Oh, it's Bolter. Yeah, right. That makes sense now that you say it, and I feel silly for having to ask the question. But... Yeah. Yeah. Now, Bolter, Bolter, I, I, I think... I think Scotty down at Bolter, up at Bolter, put XPAs on the map, and it's it's a great beer, and and it and it shows that craft beer is accessible for all beer drinkers, definitely. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's when I think XPA. I think people kind of think Bolter now. Um, there are a few others out in the market. I quite enjoy the Wolf of the Willows as well. Yeah, um, definitely good XPA. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, it does. It, it, it's almost still subjective, the style, isn't it? Because it's not a pale and not an IPA, so it's kind of what you make of it. Um, but I think, um, you know, to, to be able to use a Victorian-grown uh, hop um, and be a part of its official release and for a single hop XPA to have really nice complex flavours, yeah. I think it just shows that this hop's pretty special and you can see why they've been HPA have been developing it for such a bloody long time. Uh, it obviously it does, does good things for beers, but it obviously grows well and they're going to get a good yield out of it, uh, David. And, and no doubt the, uh, the conversation will be, uh, you better lock it in before you don't get it. Uh, going yeah. back to your earlier conversation, Dave, that's for sure. That makes total sense. And I noticed that, uh, our good friend Jane, who's been uh, bowling out at Sunbury Lawn Bowls Club this week, says that uh, they've got the Bolter XPA out there. 
but also give a shout out to the Flynn Ken Bowls Club, who we know have the best range of craft beer of any bowls club in Victoria, if not Australia, just to make sure that Sunbury doesn't think they're getting ahead of us. So, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of the question I was really interested in. I can sort of imagine quite a few styles, including that sort of session IPA style we were talking about before, so I'll do like that. I can see this hop almost in that uh, all-day IPA kind of space uh, from founders. But uh, Matt, for you especially, but Sorry, well, you know, what kind of beers can you see this hop doing aside from the XPA? You know, if you did the next two, what would you be using it for? De definitely agree. A uh, yeah, session IPA. Um, I'm a big, a big fan of of those lighter, low, lower in alcohol uh, session IPAs. Um, and yeah, I think I think if we can. Uh, for me personally, I, I I need to kind of start bugging Jane a bit, but I just want to make a kind of a seven or eight percent West Coast IPA and just jam a whole lot of hops in there. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my my favourite beer is a nice yeah hoppy as hell West Coast IPA. So hopefully, fingers crossed. It's interesting because <laughs> I feel like this this year has seen a lot more Victorian breweries do a West Coast IPA. Is that on the horizon, Matt? Are you really pushing for it, or is it just something that um, you're floating about and hoping that Jane turns oh, well, yeah, like to do it? At the moment, so hopefully, uh, you know, there's so many, there's so many uh, limited releases that we're getting out at the moment, just, and you know, core range, and with being as busy as we are, it's uh, it's hard to find tank space to to try and pop something into uh, to experiment with, so. Matt, I reckon if you could find a music reference for your West Coast IPA, I reckon that would take it pretty far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, Jane, Jane and I have a great time. We we uh, we riff off each other with uh, with recipes and stuff like that. So I'm sure if I could uh, somehow start wording her up, we we might we might get one done. So <laughs> how about a re-envisaged uh, bantam? using, say, this hop, but you could call it featherweight. There's a little bit of birds in there. There's a little bit of boxing in there. Here we go. If you like, provided you have my name on the back of the label somewhere. This is, <laughs> this is what we do in the call room, guys. We brainstorm and come up with other stuff. Before, I, can, I feel like David's prepping to ask you the traditional call room question. Yeah, I'm right, I am, but off you go, Travis. Before we do that, Matt, we've mentioned the limited releases you guys have done recently. What's been your favourite limited release? And I feel like this is a question for both of you, but Matt, as the brewer, which one has been your favourite? Or, or the favourite you to brew and your favourite to drink? Yeah. Uh, I definitely think probably the Easy Does It was my favourite to... Maybe both. Maybe favourite to brew, favourite to mm. drink. Um, yep. It was... Yeah, it was a really good sort of collab between uh, three of the brewers. Um, sort of, I came up with the recipe, and the other guys came up with with the concept of the Easy E as the hop. Um, yeah, we all kind of worked together, so it was yeah, it was just a really good process to come up with that, and then have you know when you're holding that in your hand and it's come to fruition, it's it's really great, and and I think it was really that was. Probably salty. Was that our kind of first of the limiteds, wasn't it? 
Yeah, so yeah. that beer was in tank to be keg only release and COVID had other ideas. Um, so it kind of forced our hand. We didn't want to, obviously we use fresh hops, you know, it's once a year opportunity, we wet hops. So we wanted to make sure we, everyone got to, the chance to taste it. So we, yeah, we scrambled to get um, East Coast canning and a, and a label happening and chucked it all into cans and, yeah, it's uh, it, it seems like 400 years ago when yeah. we made that bit. It's just nuts, but it was only uh, it was only in April, really, and um, it was yeah, it was fantastic beer at a low elk. So it was yeah, it was good. Uh, we've heard that quite a bit over our entire cool room journey since we started the virtual meet the brewers. Was that you know at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, we we had breweries that would turn around and go, well, we had this as a keg release, but COVID had other plans for everyone so so things had to shift really quickly so it, it's interesting to hear you guys sort of say the same thing and i feel like 2020 is going to be that year that we've we've been able to go out and purchase beers that we wouldn't have necessarily been able to get our hands on um unless we went to the brewery so yeah no it's it's been yeah. interesting to say the least yeah david i feel like you're gonna you're, you want to? I can. I can see David sitting there, just going. I want to ask the traditional questions and like. Let's do it. Well, the traditional question is, of course, the cool room question—the strangest thing you've ever seen in a cool room. Uh, we've had some fantastic answers over the years, but it's not only about cool rooms; it's about breweries. It's that little peek behind the curtain into what it's like to run a, a business or what it's like to run a shop floor effectively if you're running a cool room um those little things where everyone goes gee it'd be great to be a brewer wouldn't it and what you're revealing is that time that you were driving the forklift and you tried to you know take down 200 kilograms of a malt and you tipped it over and lost the brewery five grand's worth of stock or something um something let's start with you because you're a very honest man and that's why i love you deeply um <laughs> What's the worst thing you've ever done in a pub, brewery, or otherwise? Uh, look, I um, I guess I get I get a little bit shielded at uh from the from the uh the brewery floor a lot of the time uh, down at Two Birds. It doesn't. It could be pre Two Birds. You could not even name where you were when you saw this or did this. Yeah. Well. Um. Probably the worst thing I've seen in a in a cool room is uh, so many kegs of Foster's light ice because that should that should be illegal, really. Uh, 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 I reckon that's the first beer I ever yeah. drank. I'm pretty sure that's the first beer I had when I was. Just so we can prove that 2020 has been a really bad year, though, didn't they announce that they're going to start releasing Foster's Lager again in like yeah, more pubs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I heard the same thing. Uh, nostalgia or something like that. That's uh, nostalgia for a time we never lived through. Nostalgia yeah, for when I had to buy beer from an off license in the UK. Is that what they're trying to? <laughs> it doesn't come in 500 mil cans. Uh, anyway, in that, go on with your like, story of cool rooms. No, so so David's yeah that that was quite confronting for me. But at the time, I guess when you're working at a at a pub 
in the late 90s, early 2000s uh, that doesn't exist anymore. You are... Uh, uh, that's that's what we were serving, Carlton Draft, VB and Foster's Light Ice, and that was confronting. But I must say, back in the – they had a cool room in the in the bottle shop adjoining to the bar. And Are we talking in Melbourne here? Can we have a little bit of insight, yeah, you know, yeah. roughly where the pub that no longer exists is? Yeah, it's in Essendon, but it's not there anymore, unfortunately. It was Essendon. Um, we used to call it, – it was the Grand Hotel, and the, the staff and the – Customers just called it the Dirty Grand Hotel because <laughs> it was. Um, and, yeah, it was uh, – I, 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 I do have fond memories of the venue, definitely, and, and working in the bottle – if you're talking about cool room, the thing I remember most is we, we didn't have uh, craft beer reps coming in because there wasn't craft beer. We had, we had all this stuff thrown at us um, to taste and sell and – um, my memories of the of the cool room at the bottle shop back then were working with my bottle shop colleague to if we're going to sell it we have to taste it so every time something new came in we would crack it sit in the cool room and and drink it before a customer drove through the drive the drive through and enjoy it and that they're good memories because I was a groomsman at his wedding so that's you know that good times started out in the bottle shop so. That's a very that's the most positive cool room story I think we've ever heard. Sorry. And there was no, no it's explosion. Cool. We're we're seventy-eight episodes in and we were due a positive story. So. <laughs> well there you go. So it's it's not two birds related at all, but I'm sure Maddie's got, got something. I don't know if the the Cree in Yeah, come on Maddie, bring us home, mate. Maddie. We need a what was something the Cree uh the incident with Cree and um Oh the the glass or Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably uh so it's not it's not really the cool room, but uh you know, may this may or may not have happened at two birds. <laughs> um at a brewery that you may or may not have been yeah, at, at at a place I may or may not have worked at, but um yeah, it was uh, I, I I was in the opposite part of the production area, you know, behind a wall and heard an almighty, like, crash, you know, one of the biggest crashes I've ever heard in my life and opened up the door to, to see uh, a forklift and tried to lift, I think, two or three pallets of glass, had clipped four pallets of glass behind it and uh, I think we lost about, yeah, six or seven pallets of glass. One pallet of glass rained over the uh, the forklift. Um, luckily, the, the driver wasn't... He, he did find a piece of glass down his butt crack, but it didn't cut him. So, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, and we basically spent the next sort of three, four hours uh, shoveling glass into, into uh, skip bins that we had to get brought out <laughs> to get rid of. And and that was the day that said brewery can. said they were going to go to cans. Yeah, it was basically like there was a couple of pallets that were going and that they were creaking and creaking, and then we just basically had to get a broom and just we went, we can't save them, so we'll just push them and smash them. So <laughs> it was just everybody was out of there, push, smash, and then yeah, it took us about three, four hours to shovel glass into, into skip bins and 
probably to this day you can still see bits of glass dust that have just pulverized and oh. permanently there. So <laughs> that's the kind of story we love. That's the cool room story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I kind of feel like that beats any explosion story we've had, David. It's Oh well the Sierra Nevada, how much Sierra Nevada lost. Oh that's true, yeah. Yeah. Full of the valve that was incorrect. <laughs> check the archives for I feel sorry for the forklift uh, driver because whenever something like yeah. you're forking something and you know it's going to go, it's yeah. like this slow motion thing where you can see it happening yeah. and it takes forever. But I, uh, I, Like uh, as someone who's been in that position, yeah, I feel like I could have stepped out of the forklift, walked away, right. got, yep. a, <laughs> got my phone out, took a picture as it was happening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, oh. Now, I reckon, my friends, unless I'm incorrect, that we might be about to move on to effectively the reason we're doing the podcast tonight, which is the Deck the Hall Street Cherry Sour. So if you don't have one of those in your hot little hands already, take a little moment to go and grab one of those. And again, make sure you're checking out all of the social medias. And if you're in the room with us, I think we've already got Jane lined up to be question number one, but we'd love some of the people who are in the room to ask the questions that have sprung into their minds as we've, uh, as we've spoken to the guys tonight. And, um, yeah, please make sure that you're, uh, you're tuning in to uh, next week with Bridge Road Brewers. But uh, we've lost a few people in that little mix there, so I'll just pause for a moment or two. But... I don't know. Matt, do you want to give us a little bit of the backstory of this beer, the flavours we've got in there, you know, what, what this beer is about from the brewery's point of view and why this beer and why now, I guess? Yeah, so a lot, a lot of our, our limiteds are kind of um, put out to the, to the whole team. Um, to, we, you know, we sort of use each other as a sounding board. Hey, what do you think we should do for a, a Christmas beer? So it was kind of put out, what is what was Christmas evoking you? Um, and and it wasn't necessarily uh, what beer you want for Christmas. It's just, you know, what, what do you think and what are your memories? And so people were like, you know, uh, waking up at 7am and, and opening up presents and, and you're cracking a beer at 9am and all that sort of stuff. So all these ideas flowed in and um, it eventually became, you know, eating the, the main idea was like eating cherries and, you know, uh, a nice sort of refreshing sour beer that it evolved into. Um, and yeah, basically that's, that's how it came about a, a whole mix of, uh, of ideas about Christmas and, and what people do and what memories it evokes and, we came up with the Deck the Hall Street. To me, there's some really familiar flavours from some really important European beers and others in there. I mean, what, you know, for either of you, sort of, what do you, like, for me, when I smell that, it's already giving me some Belgians and some other bits and pieces, but what were you aiming for and what's, what were you trying to recreate and what, what is original in this beer as well? Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a kettle sour. Um, so for, for those of you who may or may not know, it's, an, it's not a traditional long soured ferment. Um, we do a, about a 48 hour sour in our kettle um, and then boil that to sanitize it. So we don't 
infect anything else in the brewery um, and then send that off to the fermenter and just ferment it with a, a, a base a house yeast like USO5. Um, yeah, so we we're just trying to get a nice, just a nice tartness to then obviously complement the, the uh, I can't remember how much it was. I think it was about 60 or 70 kilos of cherry puree that we, that we poured into the fermenter. Out of how big a fermenter? Sorry to cut across, but like... Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it was a 4,000 litre fermenter. So, yeah. So, not not huge, but um, sort of what we, what we call our double fermenters. And we have a quad fermenter, which is 8,000 litres. So, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely, it coloured up really quickly. Um, when we put the cherry in, it was, it was nice ruby sort of red within a day or two. Um, yeah, and those, I think actually if you let it warm up a bit, those flavours tend to appear a bit more, the cherry flavours. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a nice, subtle, tart, easy drinking beer. Perfect for a hot, typical hot Christmas day in, in Australia, so. Yep. Absolutely right. Is this, how, what number this is uh, in relation to your Christmas beers? So you've done one last year. Did you do one the year before as well? Or is this a reasonably new thing? I don't, I don't remember us doing the one, one the year before. So last year we, we did one and um, that was to go into an advent, advent calendar. calendar. Yep. yep. So... I, I, that was probably the first time we started looking at limited releases in cans and what our options were from a label point of view. Um, so we did that for an advent calendar. And this year, we it was really cool. This year, literally, it was just a team email. Everyone in the business had a chance to have a crack at it. What, what, do, you, what do you want as, as a Christmas beer, as our last limited release for the year? And overwhelmingly, we had light alcohol approachable refreshing because we're eating so much we don't want something too big and it's a long day and you have to go from one house to the other so you lower alcohol and cherries everyone just kept mentioning cherries 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 and um yeah it's not my my christmas thing to have cherries so i was like wow maybe if one person said it yeah cool but everyone was saying it so i was like we have to do it so um so that's how we how we came to do this the beer and um, the style anyway, and then the branding the branding just named itself. It was uh, it was really cool. So kudos to Holly and and Danny uh, from a marketing point of view with the name because we're obviously it was Holly and Ivy who were in charge of the Christmas sort of branding or Holly and Danny. Ah, uh, sorry. Good one though. Nice. When, say, you start, when are you starting your own brewery, Dave? Uh, after the incident, that might take a while. We'll see how we go. I've been having the first cherries of the season in my house last night. This is bang on the right time of the year and the right kind of flavours. So I, I get this. I think it's absolutely fantastic in that regard. Uh, we've got a few questions from people in the Zoom room and um, probably a couple of spots for a couple more. So if you've got any questions about two birds whatsoever, now is the time to type them in and we'll, uh, we'll get through them all. Uh, 
Jane, who's been a contributor in any number of ways along the way. I'm going to unmute you now so that you can ask your question first. And after Jane, we'll go to Crofty for a question from him. Oh, Jane's unmuted. Huzzah! I'm just going to keep looking up. I've just spotted this giant huntsman on my wall. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, my question was, and this was based on finding out that the answer was a brewer and not the can designer um, for, a, for another brewery. Um, who actually does the beer descriptions on your labels? Usually, uh our marketing, uh, Holly, who, who works in the marketing team. Um, yeah, she, she comes up with definitely with the, the easy does it. Um, she came up with a pretty banging sort of description and, and um, yeah, basically we leave it up to her and, and she'll come up with gold pretty much all the time. So a lot of the, a lot of the time the brewers will, we don't, we don't even kind of realise what she's done and we'll grab the can and go, yeah, she's just done it again. So, yeah, yeah. just awesome at it. So, great, great. Is that, is that her, like, after tasting it and knowing all the hops and stuff in it or just getting a description from you guys? Yeah, so she'll she'll get a description from us um, and then kind of we'll go, you know, these are the, these are the approximate flavours that are going to be in it, da-da-da-da, and then, yeah, she'll go away and... And come up with the, the fantastic sort of script that she puts on there. So, I think that's a good question, though, Jane, because our Jane, I feel she's quite nervous about getting us to brand and name a beer before it's brewed. I don't think if she had her way, that would be the case, to be fair, because things happen and flavors change and ingredients might come and go and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, there's a there's obviously a strong brief from a, a beer point of view before it gets brewed. And um, Holly Holly runs with the, the name and the branding before any before it's been tasted, essentially. So it's, uh, yeah, because timeline is just such a, a factor with these limited releases and we don't have the time to taste it ourselves before it even. And so, but yeah, you take some risks with limiteds to a certain extent, but... That's part of the fun for the brewers and definitely for Holly. I know she loves it. Um, it's an exciting part of her job for sure to come up with the name and the and the branding. That's, can I say, Jane, that was a great question, but even better like for our international listeners. And a big shout out to everyone, particularly from the US, who's been listening in lately, but all through Germany, Poland, uh, that part of Europe as well. It's been fantastic to have you on board. But, Jane, the reason why you've been a bit distracted during the asking of that question is because there's a giant Australian spider <laughs> stalking you in your room. And I just want everyone who already has their preconceived views of what Australia is like, yes, it's like that. But Jane is living in fear of the spider in her room. It's the size of her face. It's the size of a dinner plate. And yet she's still sitting there drinking her beer, asking questions on the podcast. We don't step down for spiders. No, they're not nearly as bad as carnivorous kangaroos. Uh, and hoop snakes. But before we get stuck into that, Crofty joining us from Sydney, Australia. There's no, any, there's no spiders up there that could cause anyone any damage. <laughs> um, 
Crofty, there, your question, brother. There is a massive rat that lives in this garage that I'm in. <laughs> is it a rat that's made out of spiders? I, I, quite possibly. It's possibly a whole nest of spiders that has morphed into a rat-like shape that keep running across the rafters. But um, yeah, I, I was um, I was pretty sad to hear that the Bantam has gone the way of the Dodo, so it seems. But um, I was wondering whether or not uh, your double Bantam gets released from the cage every now and then. All puns intended. <laughs> um. I'm not sure, Crofty. I'm, I'm not sure if double bantam's on the radar. Um, I think we went through a phase of uh, let's just do double everything. Um, we, we definitely went through that phase and um, I might be biased because I think it's an amazing beer, but the double sunset definitely struck a chord with uh, a lot of people out there. It's um, definitely, um, I mean, sunset's, my go-to it's my favorite beer so to have double sunset i was in i was in heaven um so double bantam mm, i'm not i'm not sure but i i think maddie maddie wants a double ipa so i think we should do a double west coast ipa early next year that's what i reckon the the only double thing that we didn't do was double pale so i kind of you know maybe we could morph the 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 Double pale into a West Coast or something. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what a double pale in my head. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, doesn't that make that West Coast IPA? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, can I ask a question? Which I might have missed this one, which is my bad. My apologies if I did. Until now, um, every year you've done a birthday beer that reflects in the percentage. The year, so last year we had the uh, was it Black Current uh, goes that was the eight percent for the eight year anniversary. Purple Rain. Um, yeah. Did I miss this year's, or are we going to get a a massive banger next year? And are you already thinking about that? Uh, we all we all missed this year's. Um, we did we didn't even celebrate our birthday this year, which is quite sad, really. You know, it's our ninth birthday and. Uh, unfortunately, we had a, a lot on our plate just trying to keep things uh, ticking over, Dave. And, uh, yeah, we, it's the first time in a long time uh, we haven't had a birthday beer. So next year we turn 10 and uh, there will be obviously a big celebration as a part of our 10th birthday, uh, most definitely. I'm not I'm not saying by any stretch the ABV has got to match the birthday, Dave. Uh, <laughs> and that's that was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a thing for one year, so I guess you call it a thing, yeah. Because I always wonder what you were going to do when you got to like 2026. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, like... <laughs> I think we're just going to ring Pirate Life and grab their beer, aren't we, yeah, that year? Like... Yeah, yeah. I love the black currant beer. I thought it would have been a really lovely 4% beer as well, can I say? But anyway, we, we digress a little bit. Uh, Shannon, I'm going to unmute you so that you from the room can ask a question. One of the great things about joining us live on a Thursday night rather than listening in on the podcast, much as we love it when you do, is that you can ask your own questions. Um, Shannon, hopefully you're unmuted and can ask your question, brother. Sweet. Thank you very much, Dave. How you going, Matty? No, I'm Brooksy. <laughs> oh, you know, just having a couple of quiet ones in the shed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I've, I've in, embarked on a little project of my, my own 
for uh, home brewing purposes. But I, I note that uh, one brewery, they um, uh, use quite a lot of cherries in a beer. Uh, some might say about 25%. Uh, I've brewed a little Imperial Sour myself, which is a, is a mind-numbing 9%. Um, and Crofty knows the story around that one. But however, I digress. Uh, what sort of... I haven't had the chance to try the cherry sour yet. Um, what sort of percentage of cherries are you using in the, the cherry puree are you using in the, in the cherry sour? Uh, good question. I, I mean, it wasn't, honestly, wasn't a hell of a lot. Like it was, uh, trying to think we had a, we had a film crew in the day. So it was, it was a real, it was a whirlwind of a day. Um, and I don't have access to the recipe right now. I think it might've been about a hundred kilos of puree into about 4,000 liters. I know I said 70, 70 kilos before, but I, yeah, I'm now thinking it was about, yeah. Uh, about a hundred kilos of puree into about four thousand liters, so not not a lot in terms of things. Um, you know, some people go absolutely crazy with their fruit additions in the beers, so um, yeah, it goes to show that a little can go a long way. Nice. I uh, I'm on the hunt for some cherry puree, so I'll uh, I'll send you a, a Facebook message at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Can I ask a little bit of a follow-up because I'm nowhere near genuinely as good a brewer as Shannon is. When you add things like that puree, do you have to take account of the sugar in it as well as the flavours it's going to add? And does that affect sort of when you're doing your calculations about sort of alcohol levels that are going to come out of your base sort of liquid or... You know, or does it not really make that much difference? Is there not that much sugar in the puree? Uh, no, Ken, um, I think a lot of our, you know, say for our uh, tropical sours, um, we kind of bank on about it adding maybe 0.5% uh, ABV. Um, and we always try and get it in while there's still quite a bit of active fermentation. So you don't run the risk of exploding cans and exploding holes and stuff like that. So, so it does ferment that fruit out. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, yeah. It definitely adds a little bit. Um, and yeah, we've got calculators and all that kind of fancy brewery stuff that helps us. Matt, I'm sure you're, you're happy with the amount of cherry, but I've, I always think, I always think when I, when there's an adjunct to a beer, that there's just not enough of it. Um, do you do you kind of do you do you feel that occasionally when you're producing something? I know, like we've had a couple, the rice rice baby and this, and the cherry sour. Do you think maybe a few more kilos? Maybe yeah. What what goes in your head afterwards after you've tried the beer and you? you can yeah, for sure. It? Like um, I'm I'm always in the in the brewery saying let's chuck more hops in. Let's. Hmm. Chuck a bit more in, chuck a bit more in. So, um, yeah, and and the rice rice baby, it's a it's a weird one because for me, when we first uh, uh, canned it and kegged it, I was like, yeah, I'm not really a fan. It, it's not coming out as much as it, it should. Um, and now it's been in can and um, keg for a couple of months now, maybe. Um, it's really starting to shine through. So, changed my tune, you know. 
glad that we didn't put more in because it probably would have really unbalanced everything. So, yep. but yeah, there's there, there's times where you know hopefully you taste the beer and there's still enough time to adjust it if you're not liking it. Um, yeah. So, but sometimes you just have to roll with what you got. I know what you're saying though, Warren, and and definitely that's I think. Jane and, and Maddie, you know, as a as a hallmark for two birds, it's about balance in in the beers, and and it's you kind of you walk in the you know a, a line, aren't you? If you say there's a fruit in it, you want to taste it, but you also want to enjoy the beer as well. Yeah. So it's yeah, a bit of a tightrope. Like I love. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Behemoth, yeah. and their philosophy is just fuck it. We're going to put so much in. <laughs> that that it's just gonna be it's it's gonna be met. and in in a lot of ways that works on a different level yeah than than this where it's like you definitely get a cherry flavor and it makes it's like a hum in the background but some but a party is always like how can we get more chicken in that chicken beer you know oh, what i mean like oh, thank you <laughs> there's I just know, you have track out there <laughs> yeah well, that i get the incident <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's that's right, Warren. You know, that's what Behemoth are, are all about, and and uh, yeah. that's their shtick, and and that makes sense for them. And, and I think yeah, and you and two birds is two birds. Like it's about yeah. balance, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, perhaps by way of starting to wrap things up, guys. Um, it's been a weird year, and there's been times when breweries have been able to put a whole lot of new releases out. And then a whole focus on making sure the core range is available for all the people who love that. Can you give us any little hints as to what we can start to look forward to in the beginning of 2021? It's the first time we've asked an actual question about 2021, which makes me feel excited to think about a whole new year. Any little hints and things you can give us about that? Maddie, has Jane been whispering in your ear? She always whispers in my ear, mate. So, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. No, isn't it? I can hear there's no hints. <laughs> Jane and I have got a few things that we're, we've chatted about and cooked up. Where there might be, there might be something cherry inspired, but with the dial turned up to eleven. So um, the behemoth levels is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, potentially. So you're like the world Imperials about to make a, make a thing. <laughs> Imperial cherry stout. <laughs> Sounds good. There's some nice words in that in that sentence. Yeah, and there was definitely talk about. Uh, yeah, there, there's some beers that we want to do and make make a sort of imperial version of. So um, yeah, there's things in the works. So. Once we once we hit the ground running in 2021, we'll uh, be pumping them out again. So, I Dave, I genuinely unfortunately uh, don't have an exclusive for you. I genuinely don't. I wish I did, uh, but I mean, what what I, what I would say is what Crofty was getting to with the and Maddie was talking about a West Coast IPA. I mean. I love that thought and I love that seven-ish to eight, seven and a half percent West Coast IPA. And I think we can make that happen. Uh, Maddie, from a limited release point of view next year, I reckon we can for sure. Um, but Dave, definitely it's been a, uh, a year of, I guess, looking internally and 
that's still happening, mate. And um, I think there will be change and there will be a lot of change next year, but it's still happening. So I, I genuinely don't have a scoop. I wish I did. Well, uh, Salty, we'll, we'll hold you to that. So next time you come on the podcast, you'll have more of a scoop for us. We are going to wrap this up. On that, I think 2021 is going to be a year of surprises for everyone. So hopefully we get some interesting beers out of it and uh, we all get a bit of a shock on what's sort of, what's sort of coming next. So um, we are going to wrap this thing up. Thank you very much, uh, Paul and Matt, for joining us tonight. Um, you guys are the second last one we've got for the year, apart from the New Year's Eve thing that we've got organised um, in the next few weeks. We've got Bridge Road next week. We've got a new visitor into the Zoom room right now. Um, we're going to wrap this up. Just remember, guys, if you want to hang around in the Zoom room afterwards, you can. It will remain open. Uh, yet again, guys, have a good Christmas, and uh, we'll see you in, uh, in hopefully what is a better year than 2020. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Apes Travis. Thanks, David. Thanks, Warren. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everyone.